Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Uh, Welcome again. If you are new, one of the things I forgot to say when I was up here earlier is uh, in the seat pocket in front of you is a bookmark. On the bookmark is a QR code. If you are visiting or checking us out and like more information or like us to contact you, scanning that QR code or talking to somebody in the back after the service is the best way to be able to do that. So I apologize. I should have shared that when I was up here earlier. Um, You also may have noticed as I'm standing up here that we have communion set up this morning. And I know what some of you are thinking, it's not the first of the month. Um, And for some of you that maybe threw you off this morning, for those that really like routine, um, we're changing it up for a couple of reasons. One is that my wife and I and a couple other couples will not be here next weekend. We will be at a marriage retreat. And so our own uh, youth pastor, Luke, is going to be preaching. So um, please come and be excited about that. But I'm not going to ask him to preach and lead communion in my absence. So we decided to move it up a week. We will still do communion in March which is a great segue. We have a lot of things coming up in March, and I want you to be aware of some of them, one of which is our Wild Game Feed, which is coming up March 10th. So March 10th is um, our Wild Game Feed. This is an opportunity if you are a person who likes wild game, is are a person who likes to bring friends to church, or are a person who just likes people, any of those, if you said yes to any of them, I would encourage you to come to the Wild Game Feed to invite somebody um, to come. We're gonna hear from our very own Tony Thompson. Tony grew up in this church and is serving with the EFCA Reach Global. And he's gonna be sharing. He's also an avid fisher and hunter. Last year, you heard from me at the Wild Game Feed. Um, I am a mediocre Uh, hunter and a non-fisher. So Tony is going to be so much better at sharing at the Wild Game Feed than I was. So I would encourage you to come check that out. It is a communion Sunday. And so even though it's not technically the first Sunday of the month, we're still going to take our benevolence offering at the end of the service. So that offering goes to support people in need in our community. And I bring that up because if you are a person in need in our community, please know that we as a church are here for you, Um, and not just financially. We would love to serve you in whatever area you have needs. So please know that um, that is what giving, not only to our benevolence fund, but giving to just our general fund goes to cover um, the ministry of this church, helping people find and follow Jesus. So that is what we are all about, and I would uh, just love to uh, encourage you to engage in that Uh, in that ministry in some way with us as a church. So I think that's all the stuff I was supposed to share as an update. Again, welcome. And I'm going to ask Ed, there you are. I couldn't find you. You were sitting right in front of me to come on up and lead us in a time of prayer. Well, we are in the season of Lent. And we talked about that a little bit last week. We are in The second week of Lent, last week we talked a little bit about the root of our brokenness, the root of sin that we inherit not only by birth through Adam, but also by choice. We all choose sin on a regular basis on our own, um, free of of any outside influence. And we we talked about that last week. And this week we're going to kind of take the next step in that as anybody who has made a mistake knows there are consequences 
sin has consequences. And we're going to look at some of those consequences this morning, these consequences of our sin. And as Ed prayed, and we prayed for the situation in Burnsville, and as we pray for the situation in people's families, we see all around us the consequences of people's sin. We see the ramifications. We see the brokenness that sin brings to our world, that the world we live in is not as it should be. It is broken, it is, it is destroyed. And we're gonna look at these consequences and the, and the reaching effects, the ripple effects, because I think it truly gets to the heart of what the gospel is about, that the gospel is not just about salvation for eternity, but the gospel is about restoration today. And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. And before we get into that, um, one thing that you might not know about me as you look at me, uh, even though I've been around for a little while now, there's a, a fact about me that if you were to ask my family, uh, specifically my wife, she would know is true and be able to verify this, but I'm actually a huge fan of musical, musical musicals, like movies, musicals, specifically Les Mis. Any fans of Les Miserables out there? Okay, okay, yeah. If you want me to get a project done around the house, Specifically, the best thing I can do is turn that playlist on throughout the entire house and work while it's playing in the background. I just have always liked it. And part of the reason that I like it so much is it's such a great story. It's a compelling story. If you've read the book or seen it on Broadway or watched the movie, uh, you know there's a compelling story in there. And you see in that story the ripple effects of sin. You see in that story uh, the ramifications of broken relationships, the ramifications of people's sin separating them from God and from each other. And this story goes on of these people and, and the far-reaching consequences. And so if you don't know, it tells the story of, of, of the main character is Jean Valjean, who's a convicted thief who upon release from prison seeks to uh, make his life better and realizes pretty quickly that he can't. As a convicted felon in that world, at that time, there was really no opportunity for him to do anything. So he resorts to stealing again. Only this time he steals from the one person who gave him any space. So he's out in the, in the cold, it's winter, he's curling up to sleep on, uh, on the street and a priest walks by and says, no, no, come into my house. And he ends up stealing all of the silver from this priest. And he gets arrested. And I'm actually going to show a clip from the movie. And it's actually two kind of clips mashed together. So there's a chunk kind of missing in the middle. But we're going to, we're going to see a clip from that movie here. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for So again, if you haven't seen the movie, the play, or read the book and don't know the story, essentially he steals this stuff, he gets caught. They bring him back in and they drop him in the silver before the priest. 
And they say, he had the nerve to say you gave him this. And, in, and the priest there has an opportunity. Here's a man who, who, who has stolen from him and he has an opportunity to say, yeah, he did. Send him back to prison. And he says, instead, he, he looks at him and he says, no, that's right, but my friend, you, you left the best part. And he gives him more. He gives him the candlesticks. And then he, he dismisses, the part we skipped, is he dismisses the, the, the police officers. And then he stands, stands the man up and he says, don't waste this. Don't waste this. And, and if, you, if you watch the rest of the play or movie or whatever, unfolding throughout is this story of a person who doesn't miss that. Before that experience, he was cursing God for his troubles. His sin had had consequences that had, that had arguably gone farther than they should. He had been punished beyond what was justifiable. And he curses God because of it. But now somebody seeing him as human, as worthy of compassion, changes his perspective on who God is and on other people in trauma. And throughout the story, it's him seeking to reconcile broken relationships and people to God. Later on, he'll come across a woman who's in a similar situation from an entirely different perspective. And when she says, this is all God's fault, he says, okay, you've now made it my mission to bring you closer to God. It's a compelling story. But as much as I like it a lot, and maybe that's coming out very clearly right now, as much as I really like it, don't don't confuse the analogy for the real thing. It, it is an analogy of the gospel, but don't confuse it for the gospel. There are some things that it doesn't get right as much as it is an incredible story. Do not confuse the allegory with the real thing. And so this morning, I wanna travel a similar path. And we're gonna spend a lot of time in John chapter four. I'm gonna jump around to some other spots, but we're mostly gonna be in John chapter four this morning. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn there and join us. But we're gonna travel a similar path to see broken connections caused by sin between each other and between people and their God. And we're gonna see Jesus seek to do the same thing, to reconcile people ultimately to God, to find healing from our brokenness. And so our first lesson from scripture this morning is that sin breaks our connections with others. And as, as we look at uh, a movie like Les Miserables, or as we look at virtually any story, like one of the jokes that my wife and I have if we're ever watching a movie or a sitcom, specifically a romantic comedy, the joke is always like, if they only talked to each other, there would be no plot to this movie. Because they just don't talk to each other. Or when they do, they're like, hmm... I'm not actually gonna tell you what's bothering me. I mean, look at Romeo and Juliet. Look at Star Wars. Look at Lord of the Rings. Like there's all these stories that ultimately there's a broken relationship at the core of it. A misunderstood villain maybe. There's a broken relationship there. That if people a lot of times just treated each other with a little bit of dignity and respect, there'd be no story. And as much as we can point and laugh at those kind of movies, how many of us have been in a similar situation? Or if I had only talked to my wife instead of acting that way, you know, I could have avoided the hours of trauma and drama, right? We all fall for the same thing. Sin breaks our connections with other people. And why are those such popular 
plot lines for movies and plays and TV shows? Because we can all relate. It's part of our experience to be in broken relationships. Sin naturally breaks our relationships with others, people. Like I said, we looked last week at Adam, the source of our sinful nature. And if you read that story, you see the same thing, the damage it does between him and Eve. Where here they are in the garden, in perfection, and as soon as sin enters, they realize they are naked and they are ashamed. It changes, it breaks, it damages their relationships. And we don't have to go a whole lot farther forward in Scripture to see things get far worse. And so so I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, what is, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. It doesn't take real long for sin to take a broken relationship and move it to violence. We have gone less than a generation from sin entering the world to violence and murder. It doesn't take long for sin to break our connection with others. And why does it do that? Because as the passage says, sin is crouching at the door. And as soon as we give a crack open that door to let sin in, it's, a, it's not a far step to go from, from seeing somebody as the villain, as the source of our problems, to seeing them as therefore less than. And if they are less than me, they deserve whatever is coming to them And it's really not that far to even jump to death. They deserve to die because they are less than. They are less than me. It doesn't take long. If left unchecked, sin leads us to treat others as less than. And our main passage that we'll be looking at this morning is a story from the life of Christ that illustrates the ramifications of these, and hopefully in it we see a different response, an opportunity for us to respond differently. In John chapter four, the first nine verses. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Broken relationships are rampant in this story. It doesn't take long to see the, the broken relationships and the ramifications of this. And it starts with the Pharisees and the disciples of John being jealous of how many disciples Jesus has. Well, he has more disciples than me. He's baptizing more people. And it's not even true. You know, he goes, it's not Jesus who's baptizing them. And in fact, in the previous chapter, it's not even John the Baptist who's frustrated. It's these petty arguments between the disciples because John the Baptist in the previous chapter said, he, meaning Jesus, must become more, I must become less. And he had said that to his disciples in the previous chapter, but there's still this bickering. Yeah, but he has more than me. And how many of our broken relationships really center around that idea that somebody else has more? I don't like them because they had success where I didn't. Maybe I even feel like I deserve the success they have, right? It's not fair. But that's not even the focus relationship here. If you want a case study in broken relationships, look at the Samaritans. There is so much brokenness going on in this story and so much brokenness that impacts Jesus' relationship with this woman. First, you have the ethnic divide. So these are Samaritans who, if you don't know uh, from Scripture, uh, back in the Old Testament, when, when Israel, the northern tribe, fell, when they were conquered and hauled away into captivity, the king that conquered them brought in a different group of people to live there. And those people who were not Jewish intermarried with the remaining Jewish people who were left behind. And so that's the Samaritans. So the Samaritans see themselves as Jewish, but the rest of Israel does not. The rest of Israel sees them as Gentile. You're not Jewish. You intermarried, which God said not to do. Therefore, we reject you as Jewish people. So the first thing we have is this ethnic divide. But second, there's also a worship divide that's going to come up in this story. There's a worship divide that, that now if you're a, a, a good Jewish boy or girl and you see somebody who is not entirely Jewish, knowing your history of being hauled into captivity for failure to obey the law, you are going to not allow them to come into your worship space. And so they are going to find their own worship space. And so they actually chose the space to worship to be where the original tabernacle had landed in Israel. It wasn't always in Jerusalem. Not until David conquers Jerusalem and makes it his capital does that become the center of worship. And so the, the Samaritans have taken this other worship place. And to make it even more complicated, they acknowledge the Old Testament, but only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They reject, the Samaritans reject the rest. So you have this worship divide where there's this group of people that, that uh, holds to the entire Old Testament and holds the current seat of worship. And then you have this group over here who holds to only the five books of the Pentateuch. They've also brought in some pagan rituals and they also worship not at the temple, but in a separate place. So you have the worship divide. And so into this hotbed of cultural, moral, and spiritual brokenness, Jesus intentionally engages. And let's pause there for a second, because it said he had to go through Samaria. He really didn't. It is the shortest way, the most direct way, the safest way. But there are many Jews who would avoid by walking far out of their way around Samaria to go between those two communities. 
Jesus intentionally engages into this mess. And then he sits down at the, you know, they're traveling along and he sits down at this, this town. It's around noon. And finally, we see the last dynamic, which is the gender dynamic, which was a really big deal back then. How men and women interacted was, was guided by a lot of cultural norms and customs. And so Jesus, to engage with this Samaritan woman, has a lot of things, a lot of broken relationship with this woman he's never even met before. How many of us have been in that situation where somebody has come into our life, you know, on an airplane or at work or something where we feel like we have absolutely nothing in common with them? We look at the world so different from them and it's just so easy to go, you know what? They're not worth my time. They don't see the world the way I do spiritually. They don't see the world the way I do ethnically. They don't see the world the way I do morally. They don't see the world the same way I do at all. Politically, nothing. I'm, I'm out. It's just too broken. And we see in here Jesus intentionally stepping into a countercultural, counter-religious, and counter-gender dynamic relationship. We see, why does Jesus do this? Why does he step in intentionally? Because he knows this woman and her community need the gospel. That's why he steps in. This is a gospel conversation. And for us, just like the bishop in Les Mes, we need to act like Jesus and step into those complicated conversations. Jesus sees a woman in pain. And he steps in. We must seek to mend the broken relationships in our lives. Those that have been with us for a long time and those that are brand new. We must seek to mend those relationships. It's hard to imagine, but what if Jesus hadn't stepped in? What if Jesus hadn't stepped into broken relationships with tax collectors like Matthew? What if Jesus hadn't stepped in with Zacchaeus? What if he hadn't stepped in with the Pharisee who came to him and said, what does it mean to be born again? What if he hadn't stepped in with the Samaritan woman or the prostitutes? What if he hadn't stepped into those? Did they make his life more complicated? Absolutely. Were they messy? 100%. But like Jesus, we have to step in, whether they're known to us or not. Matthew 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. The call to us as the believer is that if we are in a broken relationship, we are to be the first one to set down our pride, our rights, our privileges, and to go and be reconciled. I do think it's fitting that we are taking communion later this morning because that's an opportunity for us as well to realize that there might be somebody that we are in broken relationship with that we need to be reconciled and we need God's grace to do it. And I say that because every time we say take communion, you may have noticed that I say, if you're not a believer, let the elements pass, but I also add, or if you're not in a spot where you feel it's right to take communion, there are appropriate times to step back and go, you know what? 
the scripture passage says to leave my gift at the altar and first go and be reconciled. And I'm standing outside of reconciliation right now. And so I'm gonna step back and maybe even, maybe even let communion pass me by this week because I need to go and be reconciled first. Now, I'm not gonna tell you you have to at certain times or whatever. That's between you and the Lord. But that's why we say it. That reconciliation, sin breaks our relationships. And if we wanna bring the gospel to people, we have to be in the ministry of reconciliation with people we know and with people we don't know. Because not only does sin break our connections with other people, but sin breaks our connections with God. Our second lesson from this passage, sin breaks our connections with God. And God is in the business of reconciliation. And he has been about this idea since the beginning. This isn't a new idea that showed up with Jesus. It's not that God in the Old Testament was like, well, if you've crossed me, you're out, and I move on without you. God has been about this from the beginning. Genesis chapter 12, verse three. I will bless those. He's saying this to Abram. This is the Abrahamic blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. All people. Not just those you like, not just those that agree with you. Yes, there are consequences for disobedience. There's blessing for obedience, but all people on earth are to be blessed through God. The call of God is for people to be reconciled to himself. And why do we need this reconciliation? Because, because the, the influence of sin in our re, in relationships with others, like we talked last week, isn't really the root. The root is our broken connection with God. But just like the story of Les Mez, and just like we're gonna see here in John chapter four, sometimes healing the personal relationship opens a pathway for people to encounter reconciliation with God. When they encounter a believer who is willing to set aside all of their power and authority to pursue reconciliation with them, it can open a pathway to people encountering God. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, God does not want any to perish but everyone to come to repentance. So again, we don't come in as people who have it all figured out, looking for them to figure it out. We come in as people who have found grace and seeking to offer it to others because God does not want any to perish. So we'll go back to John chapter four with the Samaritan woman. Why does Jesus engage in these challenging conversations? because he is seeking to bring them all into the kingdom of God, not wanting any to perish. We'll pick it up in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. 
Jesus quickly crosses the broken connections of humanity to restore himself to somebody in need of salvation. And there's a lot to unpack in that confession by her. And a lot of times we take that confession and go, you know, we assume that, that she's had multiple affairs or broken marriages. And, and that's possible. The fact that she's with somebody now who is not her husband um, kind of points to that. The fact that she shows up at the well at noon, which is not a common time to show up at the well, alludes to the fact that she's probably avoiding the rest of the community. She has a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. So it's very likely that that's part of the possibility, but it's also possible that there's more to the story that we don't know. Imagine a world where mortality was, was much more common than it is now. And there was a lot of shame with a second marriage, even if your first husband died of natural causes. Where all of a sudden that sends you down a road where you cannot support yourself as a female, and so you latch on to the first available option. My point is, is this, that Jesus doesn't focus on why she's in the situation she's in. Jesus' focus is on reconciliation and restoration. He doesn't go, let me understand, first of all, why you've had so many husbands. Let's talk about that before I offer you living water. His first response is to bring about reconciliation because he knows that by crossing the humanity divide and coming to a woman who knows that he has all sorts of power and authority over her and coming in humility, he is opening a pathway for her to restore her connection with God. He quickly sets aside the cultural and societal expectations to share the gospel. And I don't think I'm overstating it to say that this story in John's gospel is significant. There's a reason John shares this story early in his gospel. I also think there's a reason that this is the first time in John's gospel that Jesus will reveal himself as Messiah to anyone. He has not called himself Messiah yet. Talk about a word that carries a lot of baggage. In that day and age, Messiah meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and this is the first time that Jesus uses that term. I am Messiah. And he hasn't said it yet. We'll get to that in the story. My, my point is he, is, he is laying it all out there to seek reconciliation with this woman between her and God. Even though in her relationships, he has done nothing to damage her relationship with all these guys. He has done nothing to damage the Samaritans' relationships with the Jews. He's done nothing to damage the, the relationships in that culture between men and women. He's not the cause of those problems, but he still steps in and says, hey, I want to engage with you in my humanity as Jesus so that I can engage with you in my deity as your Messiah. He's crossing all the barriers. Jesus gets at the heart of the issue. Her sin, just like our sin, is what ultimately is keeping her separate from God and others. And Jesus is driving her to be reconciled to God. Because our last lesson this morning from this story is that God, or grace alone is the key to restored connections. Grace alone is the key. We cannot work our way to restoration between us and God. We cannot work our way to restoration. We need God's grace. 
And even in human relationships, right? Somebody needs to be the first one to extend grace. Somebody has to. You know, if you read books on, on relationship dynamics and you can get into these things like crazy cycles where I feel disrespected, so I respond disrespectfully. And if you feel disrespected, you respond disrespectfully. Or maybe you feel unloved and so you respond unloving. Somebody has to be the first to break the cycle. Thankfully, in our relationship with God, somebody did. And it's Jesus Christ. Grace alone is the key to restored connections. And this woman, like us all, has been seeking God on her own merit, on her terms. And we'll see this in the next verses as she talks about her desire to find God, but her struggles to understand how she, as a mere human, can find reconciliation. John chapter 4, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This woman, who it seems earlier was seeking to avoid the rest of her community, now engages intentionally. She has encountered the Messiah, and that is enough for her to go and back to her community and say, you got to come see this guy that knows everything about me and yet might be the Messiah. She is so compelled by the grace that she has felt. She goes, this is it. This is the story. She finds grace in the deity of Christ, who shows her the only way out from the penalty of her sins. And whatever her sins are, her sins are the same as us. We are all in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. We are justified by Christ alone through faith alone, not through our own efforts. Romans chapter 4, verses 2 through 8. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by his works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. See, the woman all along was going, look, is it about this mountain or that mountain? Is it about my sin in my life? What is it? What is it I have to do? 
And Jesus says, and Paul affirms in Romans, there's nothing you can do. It's all on God's grace. We need that grace. And we need to extend that grace to others. It is all that believe in justification, being in right standing before God, as being from faith alone. What Paul is saying is that if that's what we believe, that justification comes through faith alone, then we are all descendants of Abraham. And that's what Jesus said. Hey, the day is coming and has now come when true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. It's not about whether you're Samaritan or Jew. It's not about whether you have uh, all of your life figured out or you still have this rampant sin. It's not about whether you're uh, a man or a woman, as Paul will say, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. It doesn't matter. What matters is are you justified by God's grace? And that vision is compelling enough to this woman that she is willing to now cross those same barriers that before separated her from her community to bring it to them. So whether you need restored connections with your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, your loved ones, your friends, neighbors, trust Christ to be able to bring the healing restoration that you need. Trust Christ and move in grace, the same grace that has been extended to us. Or maybe you need restoration in your relationship with God. The answer is the same, trust Christ. You cannot do it on your own any more than she could. Grace alone is the only thing. We find restoration at the foot of the cross. So this morning, we're gonna transition appropriately to a time of communion reminding ourselves of the level ground at the foot of the cross. We all stand there as equals before the Lord. As we believe in the EFCA statement of faith, we believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, as we enter this time of communion, if you need to be restored, if you need to be restored with Christ or you need to be restored with a brother or sister, take time to do that. Take time today. Go and be restored in those relationships where you need restoration. And so we're gonna take a couple of moments as the servers make their way forward to begin uh, serving communion. We're gonna take a moment of silence. And I'm gonna give you some time to reflect on those relationships in your life and your relationship with God. So we're gonna take 15 seconds of silence. Heavenly Father, we come to this time of communion as sinners, Lord, sinners in need of your salvation. And Lord, we are reminded in this time of communion of your sacrifice on our behalf. So Lord, meet us here as we take communion this morning. I pray this your name, amen. And I know I said it earlier, but I'm gonna say it one last time. Um, we do practice open communion here, which means if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to join us in communion this morning. And if you're not, or if you're in a spot where you're not ready, please just let the elements pass. Um, there is no judgment. 
and then hold the elements and we will take them together. In 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And Heavenly Father, as we take communion, we remember your sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, we remember your broken body, broken for us. Broken because of the sin that has separated us from each other and from you. And so Lord, we confess to you that we need your salvation. Praise your name, amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take it together. A reminder again as we end, we do have the offering plates in the back that go towards our benevolence offering. And also, if you're in need of prayer this morning, you can join us up at the cross uh, some of the elders will be there to pray with you. Um, seek reconciliation with each other and with our God. From Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's words. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, 